1: Welcome. Welcome to The Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing human beings around the world that are definitely on a different path. Uh, As you guys, I always tell you, I mean, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and um, CEOs and innovators and, um, you know, artists and musicians to techies, a lot of really great um, people who follow along this podcast, all of you guys are doing things differently. I, I highly employ that um, you know, that strategy. You probably think way outside the box. You're probably misunderstood. You probably looked at it as like, why would you do things differently? You are understood very well here, my friends. Um, every week, I do my absolute best to talk about topics either for myself or from some amazing guests to rethink and reshape the way um, sometimes media portrays uh, success and doing your own thing. And uh, it's not overnight. It's often glamorized. Um, but everybody that comes on the show talks a little bit about their journey and how they thought through things a little bit differently. They, in, in, in essence, they basically redefined, um, you know, the, the the normal, quote unquote, path of doing things. And, uh, and it's just a great conversation that uh, we've continuously had for several years now. Now, for any of my new listeners, I appreciate you guys being here. We've just recently reached over 4.6 million downloads. Um, I couldn't have done that without my listeners who've been here since day one. <laughs> so excuse me. So I, I really appreciate each and every one of you guys. To my newer listeners, as I mentioned, we just, we just don't glamorize or glorify end success because really whatever it is that you're looking to do is really your own path and defined by you. Um, I think metrics are arbitrary. It's, it's really just about what are you trying to accomplish? And our guests talk about what they are experiencing in real time at any juncture of their, of their phases, because whether it's their first venture, or their 50th, they've seen some things, they're doing some things, they're still learning. We are all still learning until the, our very last days on earth, right? Um, and so I'm very grateful to be doing what we're doing. For my newer listeners, you can uh, also reach me at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. And if you want to get into the conversation at HDF Magazine, um, you can follow me there. There we're at the Uh, intersection of creativity, culture, and entrepreneurship. And of course, at Hustle Sold Separately. And you guys know for eight years straight, I have answered every single one of your texts, DMs, and responses on my wall. They're all 250,000 of you. (laughs) So I really appreciate all of you guys uh, as well. And uh, we have another amazing show today. Um, And we're going to dive right into it. My guest is uh, Walt Rakowicz. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more about leadership and vulnerability. And this is the person to do so. Former CEO of Prologis, author of Transfluence, how to lead with transformative influence in today's climates of change. There is a lot of ish going on right now. <laughs> there is a, and we've already been in a very big paradigm shift um, professionally, personally, culturally. And um, so leadership is being either talked about more in some circles, um, I, I wish it were even more, um, but I, I think it's a topic that's coming up um, in multiple cultures, uh, you know, globally. And what is missing from the leadership and where we're heading, right? Um, and I, you guys know I've been preaching for a very long time about this transparency and vulnerability is strength, it's courage, and it's fearlessness, to be vulnerable is to be fearless. Now I'm not talking about vulnerability where like um, leaving yourself open for something, you know, uh, bad to happen, whether it's in a business deal or in, in life, but vulnerability of the ability to be exactly who you are and lead from a very loving place and from a place of honesty and truth and doing things for good with good reason and with people together, right? And there's a whole other level of set of things in there, whatever. But being able to actually identify what's going on and then working together to actually deal with it versus allowing anybody's emotional past experiences, traumas, or whatever it might be, lead from that place. That's not going to get us as far as us actually being very open and honest about here's where we're at and here's where we're trying to go. And here's how we can work together to do this. In theory, it sounds very easy, and in my opinion, it should be very easy. But it isn't always that way because every human being is different, and they all have—we all come with a different emotional intelligence and background, and and our own experiences that we're all working through, right? So Walt's going to be a great topic, a, a great guest for this. Um, just to give you a little bit of his background, as I mentioned, former CEO of Prologis—it's a New York Stock Exchange company and a member of the S and P 500. Global real estate company was near collapse when he took over as CEO in 2008. So, you know, he's got some stories there. Uh, And then during the economic downturn, the Pelogia stock had dropped uh, from about $7 per share to approximately $2 per share in 10 months, making the third worst performing company in the S&P 500. And then after Walt joined as CEO, he quickly implemented a change in culture through transparency, orchestrating a dramatic turnaround and restoring its position in the industry. He's also the author of Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformation Influence in Today's Climates of Change. So we'll talk a little bit about that. That's coming up here in September. And uh, in addition to speaking to audiences on a range of leadership topics, Walt also serves on a number of corporate and philanthropic boards. Uh, I'm excited about this topic. You all know I'm excited about this topic. And I told Walt right before he got on the show that uh, immediately when, I, when uh, he and his team reached out, I was like, we are, we're doing this. So, Walt, thank you for being here. I appreciate you.
0: Matt, I can't tell you how excited I am to be on this show. Too,
1: I appreciate you. Absolutely, um, we'll dive right into it because I know you have an incredible background, and I know you have great experiences to share along the way, a- and as well as things that you've encountered about leadership along the way. So, please feel free to go as far back as you'd like, and uh, to bring us up to today, and then we'll go from there.
0: Great. So, thanks, Matt. Again, I, I you know, I, I would say that um, first of all, my leadership journey was vo- uh, molded by really so many things, um, but not the least of which was my upbringing. Um, You know, I I say to everybody that I I come in contact with, I hit the parent lottery. I was really fortunate. We, you know, we didn't really have, I grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. We really did not have a lot of financial wealth, you know, but there was always a wealth of love and support that my parents gave me and my sisters. And, you know, they're really hardworking people, children of uh, European immigrants and you know the most important thing that I look back on it, and you know they 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 appreciated what they had, and they also appreciated people for who they were, not what they had. Um, and I and I will tell you that that had a great impact on my leadership philosophy over time. Kind of looking back on it, I went to school at Penn State University, and um, I, my first job out of school was um, uh, to work for Price Waterhouse, which, as you know, is today's PwC. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember um, I was working in the accounting department, tax department, and um, I had two managers come to me and they said they both wanted me to write a periodical for um, these two publications that they both were asked to write um, articles for. And um, it was right right around the same time. And you know, one manager um, took what I wrote and absolutely beat it to shreds. Mm. Um, you know, It never really was that appreciative um, took the credit as being the sole author. Right. Oh. The other person tweaked it a little bit, patted me on the back, said, great job, made me co-author of that article. And I look back to such a simple thing. And you know, I thought to myself, which leader do I want to be? Uh, the leader that used me or the leader that empowered me? Mm. And the latter of the two empowered me without question. And i um I left PWC or Pro uh, Price Waterhouse, and I, I got my I was fortunate to get my MBA at Harvard Business School, and looking back, to be honest, I had no idea how I ever got in. But in um, <laughs> the first day in class, I'm looking around, and almost everybody, quite frankly, was smarter than me. I mean, I just thought, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? And you know, I tell you, I found myself digging deep. I literally really was an insecurity I had for a little while. And um, I I find myself really digging deep as to what makes a leader successful, you know, hoping that it wasn't just brains because I, on a relative basis, I didn't have the the brains. And, you know, it's tough in an academic setting where it really is all about smarts, right? It's, you know, who can do the best on the multiple choice exam, et cetera. To a certain degree, it's a false laboratory.
1: Mm.
0: But after that, I did get through it and I graduated and I went to work for this company called Trammell Crow Company, which is a real estate development firm. And I moved to LA and I worked for a partner there that was the first boss that I ever loved working for. And I mean, really loved working for, I was in my late twenties. He was fun. He was full of life. You know, he treated everybody with dignity as if they mattered. Um, He was generous with his time. and, And the big thing is that he wanted us to be the best that we could be. And man, was he an influence on my life. Mm. Um, and I, I began to understand that success in the job is not defined by brilliance. It really isn't. Don't get me wrong. It helps. <laughs> but it's not defined by it. And it was defined by how, how you treated people and you know how you influenced their lives. And I'll tell you, the one thing I realized is that people work harder for leaders who care. They just do. I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just wanted to kill for this guy. And and so throughout my career, I had plenty of things that influenced the way that I thought about leadership, but I always began to think in that, in that way, empowering people, you know, and treating people with dignity and respect. And, And then as you started talking about probably the most important one for me and the one that inspired me to write the book was, the challenge that I faced in the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. But I like to say that it really happened over the course of probably more like a six-year period of time leading up to the financial crisis and past the financial crisis and the turnaround around 6 to 12. And, you know, I'd like to talk just a little bit about that. You you sort of gave it, um, you know, sort of a 30,000-foot view, and and I'll try to not go too deep, but, um, you know... I I I had been with Prologis for I don't know ten or eleven years, by 2006, and just so you just so you know, it's a kind of interesting. Uh, Prologis, one of these companies, they're a real estate company, but they 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 focus on warehouses. And most people don't know that probably 80 percent of all corporate America and really globally too, companies lease buildings; they don't own them. Um, so if you ever see a building that says a Walmart on it, or you know something like that. The likelihood is they don't own that. They lease it from companies like Prologis. And, and and Prologis owns today, interestingly enough, if you added up all the square footage throughout the world, it'd be equivalent to about 16,000 football fields. That's how much space they own. Wow. And they're a huge company, $100 billion in assets. Anyway, I had risen through the company uh, from regional vice president to chief financial officer to president, chief operating officer, really number two person in the company. And and at that time, I, around 2007 now, I'm I'm working for a CEO who is one of the most brilliant people I ever knew. I mean, truly one of the smartest guys I ever knew. But you know what? He believed that he was always right. Mm. He paid very little attention to what others had to say. He had narcissist narcissistic tendencies, quite frankly. Mm. Sometimes if he didn't get his way, he would withhold the truth. And... I saw what was happening in the company. People were operating in silos. They weren't communicating. They were fearful of what they were going to say when they were around him. Um, and it was just a bad culture. I call it a shadow culture. <laughs> and um, you know, I saw how the culture changed and I I couldn't stand to be a part of it anymore. I, I just couldn't take it. And I went to the board and I at that point in time I had been there for fifteen years. And I told the board that I needed to leave. And um, I worked out something with them where I would stay for a little bit. And finally, I left in January 2008. And at that point, as you mentioned to the listeners, our stock was actually hit a high of about $75 a share. And um, that was equivalent to $22 billion in market capitalization. And when I left and uh, just watched the fall over the summer. And you know, that summer of 2008, well, the whole year 2008, the S&P 500 was down 38%. So don't get me wrong, this was a tough year. But all of the mistakes that we made exacerbated that fall. And by November of 2008, our stock hit a low of $2.20, down 96%, as you said, third worst performing stock in the S&P 500. And it was at that point in time that the board called me and said, we are going to let go of the CEO. You were right. And, um, we'd like you to come back and take over. Mm. And I'll be honest with you. I, I did not view it as a privilege at the time (laughs) and I was scared to death. I really was. Um, I had been away for 10 months, but mostly I just, you know, I didn't know if the company was going to make it. And I, I knew it was going to take a Herculean effort. Um, but I agreed to do that. And, um, because our people, I mean, I hired probably, you know, third of the people in the company and, and our people had those people had lost confidence in, in the leadership of the company and we needed to change that. And I, and I would just say that, you know, I've looked back and the times when I've probably learned the most in my leadership career were crucible moments. They were really tough moments. Um, And I think that, you know, sometimes we shy away from them, but oftentimes they're our best opportunities um, to learn and to make a difference. And they were for me. And so over the next four years, myself and and the management team, and I've got to give a lot of credit to the management team that stayed there, um, you know, probably learned the most about leadership that we ever learned. (laughs) And um, that's when I began to realize Uh, you know, this whole notion of transfluence, which I called now, and I wasn't thinking transfluence back then, but it really began to come alive to me as to, as to what it was and, um, and how to lead um, because it was a crucible moment. And and as I said, I probably learned the most during that time.
1: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I was, when you were saying that our toughest times are our greatest opportunities. Yeah. True. You know, and it's, it's, I find that we always get exactly what we need. We just have to lean into it. and that's not a um, as you said, I, and by the way, I do also like the vulnerability that you shared where you said, oh I, I, you know, I was scared <laughs> you know because I you know I, I, and I and I actually really felt that because it's uh, and I think it's it's important that people understand that because you get so many people who think that um that uncertainty was easy for some of us. No, it wasn't. We just leaned into it at that moment. Um, and, um, you know, we saw it as an opportunity to say, it's obviously coming my path for a reason. So we're going to, we're going to lean into it anyways and do it. Um,
0: yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you, you say that because, um, speaking of lean into it, I, I weighed <laughs> about, um, something like 172 pounds I'm not a huge guy, but 172 pounds or so when I took over, and it, within a month I had dropped 12 pounds to 160. Oof, <laughs> so oof, that goes oof. to show you how lean I how lean I became.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's 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 real. You know the the the, well, stress, yeah. the stress in in those moments, especially if we take our work serious and the and we take accountability serious, and we take um, responsibility for others serious, and wanting to do good work. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and it sounds like, um, from Prologis, like that's really what, and the turnaround, um, what were some of the things that you, you noticed the most that really, you were inspired by previous leaders that, that, um, they really motivated you. What happened during these times that you almost, in a lot of ways, were paying it forward. And what were you watching? That the team was, because you said that the team was feeling pretty low at that point. Um, what were? Can you can you recount some of those times where you saw a glimmer of light and hope? And, with people that are like, I like what Walt just said. You know what? I, I I'm with him. Let's do this. You know? Do, do you Can you recount a couple of those 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 experiences, or just you know where the com- yeah. what conversations well, me, were being had?
0: You know, you 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 spoke of vulnerability before. Yeah. And um and and I'll you know I, I'll I'll get to some of the key things that I think leaders need to do, but let me tell you the story that it was was front and dear to me and um and and I think really made a difference. And this was this happened about oh maybe a month or so into I took over in November, so this would have been sometime in December. Um, and, you know, re- remember, this is not a company I just came to work for. I had been working for them for 15 years and then mm-hmm. left and came back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I had a heart for everything that's going on in the company. And I we had a late night meeting. Um, we had a late night meeting with my chief financial officer and probably 10 of the top people in finance in the company. And and one of the people, and I can't even remember who it was today, looked at me and said, Walt, uh, I've got some bad news for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, you know, um, unfortunately, I just don't think we can avoid um, blowing covenants on about $10 billion in bonds. And I said, wow, uh, when are we going to do that? And he said, probably um, January, February time frame." And I said, well, what do we got to do? And he said, well, there's no, there's no other choice. We have to file for bankruptcy at the time. And I tell you what, I, within about a minute, I, I my, I, my face felt cold and almost like I, I just felt white as a ghost. And um, I just asked them if I could leave the room. And um, they said, sure. I said, you know, I'm feeling a little bit, you know, lightheaded. And I walked down the hallway and there was a, you know, there was a, a, a seat that I could see in a distance as I felt like I was going to faint. And I started beelining, sort of walking quickly towards that. And unfortunately, I didn't make it. And about two steps before the seat was the corner of a desk. And I, I fell, fainted. And on the way down, I had hit my head on the desk. Mm. And um, about 10 minutes later, I woke up to a pool of blood. It was sitting there on the carpet. And um, honestly, for about the first 30 seconds, I had absolutely no idea where I was. It was dark outside. It's probably close to one in the morning. And um, then finally I realized, oh my gosh, there's 10 people in this room still waiting for me. And so the first thing I do is run to the bathroom. I suture up my head, you know, get the bleeding to stop. And I've got this huge egg atop my left eye. And um, I walk in and my CFO is the only one that looked at He looks at me. He has the guts to say, Walt. What in the hell happened to your head? <laughs> and man, I tell you what, Matt, I was busted. And I looked at everybody in the room and I said, you know what, guys? I got to tell you, CEOs are supposed to have the answers. I was hired to have the answers. You know what? I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And everybody stopped, paused, like, can, I, can you believe the CEO is right, right. this? <laughs> right? This doesn't. This stuff doesn't happen, right? You can't make this up. And, um, you know, it was interesting. Somebody broke the silence by saying, you know what, well, we're going to figure this thing out. Yes. We are going to figure this thing out. And you know what? We did. It took a couple weeks. We figured out that we had to sell our entire operation in China and use the proceeds to go to the banks with the pay down debt and renegotiate covenants. And we ended up selling some more assets along the way. And, you know, we did by hook or crook, we put it together and it would take me too long to explain what we had to do on the financial side. But I'm going to tell you something that night. I realized leaders. I'm not saying that leaders should always be vulnerable. I, I don't think that's the case, right? But I do think they should be willing to do so in appropriate times because it's one of the strongest expressions of honesty that you can find. And if you do it and you do it in the right way, it can create an amazing amount of trust in your organization because people know that they are exactly like you. You don't think you're above them. Um, You're willing to admit it and everybody's got their cards on the table. and, And I, and I think it's very, very powerful used in the right way.
1: You know, I I couldn't agree more. And you you said it right there. Um, I, it connects with other people because instantly they feel like Walt is just another human being like us, and he needs our help. Right, and, you he know, needs our help. Right. He needs. And by our the help. way, yeah. that's
0: empowering.
1: Yeah, that's it's empowering. very it's very right. empowering. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I, well, and um, because that's what they've been there to do as well too. And and they and I feel like it's a great time for them to equally say like, hey. We, we got you like what let's, let's take a step back and like, let's all together. It, I think it releases the tension of Walt's the CEO. We'll do whatever he says. Let's see what he has to say. And I think you remove that barrier that sometimes comes from, you know, older paradigms of leadership where like, you will only have this direction win or lose. This is what we're going to do, you know, into more of a, an open, uh, you know, uh, society for them to be like, Hey, listen, this is an open space. Like, I don't know, like, let's, let's do this together. Let's figure it out together. And and I think that's just very, very empowering because it's, it removes hierarchy and moves it more into like a flat organization where we're all working together. Right.
0: I think so. Absolutely. Um, And that's what I found. And, and I, and like I said, you know, look, this isn't something that if a leader is always that way, and people would say, well, maybe that person's really not, you know, they, they people want right.
1: direction. Absolutely.
0: Sure. Um, I, I'm just saying that you, you need to understand that when you're really feeling it, it's okay to be honest.
1: Absolutely. Really is. Absolutely. You know, and, and you're right. I think it's a very good balance of if you're really on your craft and you really love what you do. Yeah. You'll be able to have direction often. But having that vulnerability to say, I guess I'll give you an example is you know I've got a, a 20 person um, growth market agency where we focus very heavily on systems and automation, things like that. And I my my right hand, I, I once said to her, I said, listen, here's what I was asked to provide, and I know we can, but I'm afraid that if we go off um, out of our lane, that um, we'll be spread too thin. And right. this is coming from my past experiences. But I also believe that's also coming from my past traumas. I want you to prove me wrong because I have a feeling you're going to do so. <laughs> and I was like, I I like I I don't want to lead it make a decision from a blind spot. You you help me uncover the blind spot and see if I'm wrong. And she showed me something so simple. And so, and first of all, she thanked me. She said, I'm not used to being heard. You know, this is when we first formed this, this organization. She's like, I'm not used to being heard. I'm like, you're brilliant at what you do. I need you to, I need you to stay in your zone of genius and your brilliance. And Like, show me where I'm wrong. Like, show me where my thinking on this? And then she showed me some very simple things. And I said, that's brilliant. And she's like, yeah, it's actually the infrastructure's already there, you know, so that we can even diversify there. And I was like, that's brilliant. And I was like, thank you. And she said, well, thank you for listening to me. And I, and I, it's, I just, I think it's so important that, you know, the rest of t- a lot of the times I'm making decisions, um, that are very important and being able to kind of handle where, you know, where people are like, Ew. I was like, I got it. Don't worry. I'll take care of this. Everyone I'll take care of it. No worries. But also making the space available for all of them to feel like we're all in this together and we're always working together and that they're all always heard. And that, I, I lean on them and say, listen, this is your area of expertise. I don't know right. the answer. You got to help me. <laughs> you know, well, just- that's right.
0: You know, I, the one thing you find as a CEO, particularly, um, is that most people in the organization know more about the organization than you do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, you know how to talk to Wall Street about it. You know how to talk you know, you, you kind of understand, um, you understand a little bit of everything. Yeah. So you're probably the best person to tell the whole story. Right. But if you want to dig into the details, let me tell you, everybody else knows a hell of a lot more in the organization than you do about the details. And I think, you know, I talk about in the book about how leaders need to be conductors, not soloists. And, you know, I, mm. I think about a soloist gets up, and um, let's in an orchestra, let's say violin soloist gets up and and you know plays the violin, and and the entire audience gives that person a standing ovation, um, or perhaps it's somebody that sings a song, whatever that is, right? Whereas the conductor at the end, um, when the entire orchestra gets the standing ovation, the best conductors they might bow to the audience, but really they point to the entire. Uh, symphony and they you know they give them the credit and and they and you know so their job isn't to do you know, make the solo, do the solo. their job is to encourage, lift up, inspire, give credit, empower, all those things, right but they're not the expert. they're not <laughs> the expert is doing the solo. Uh, they're they're the expert in pulling it all together. And if they can acknowledge that, if you can acknowledge that as a leader, empower those people, inspire those people, recognize that they have, they know a lot more than you do, man, you can accomplish tremendous things as a leader. You Mm -hmm. really can. So true.
1: Why, why do you think, I mean, I know there's probably so many different levels we can go on this route, uh, you know, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, (laughs) there's a lot like, why do you, why do you think some leaders are absolutely great with trust and transparency? And a lot of people in general struggle with those. Well,
0: I think the reason is because it's very easy to tell what you want people to hear. Mm. It's really tough to tell the things that hurt you um, or make you look bad. You know, previous to the financial crisis, um, the people at Prologis were told a very rosy story even our investors were told a rosy story. Even in 2008, Leading as our stock is falling 50%, I'm sitting on the sidelines at home watching this, and the company is sinking, and yet the employees are being told, don't worry, it's fine. Investors are being told, oh, don't worry, it's just the S&P 500. Everything's going down, blah, blah, blah. Well, that was baloney. There was a lot of bad things that were happening and beginning to happen at the company. But the leader of the company couldn't, couldn't say it because make them look bad. Um, maybe he didn't even know it. I mean, honestly, sometimes those people that have the tendencies of, um, narcissism as we talk about may not even know about it to give them credit <laughs> and, uh, or, or, or may not be willing to recognize it. I don't know, but I think the truth is really, really difficult. Um, you know, when we, uh, in 2009, um, we had, we made the decision after I came back that we would not survive unless we laid off um, a third of our workforce. And I'm going to tell you something, Matt, that was the most difficult, perhaps the most difficult day in my career, because on one hand, I came back to save the, try to save the company at least. And I knew many of the people that were there. Um, and then, and on the other hand, three or four months later, I'm having to lay off a third of them. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember being in a management meeting where one of the, one of the people in the executive team said, well, you know, we're probably not going to know for at least 30 days, you know, who we're going to need to lay off. And, and so let's figure out who we're going to lay off before we make an announcement. And I remember the day before that walking around the hallway, seeing the look on people's face, somber look, like they knew it was coming. I mean, the water cooler talk was, how big are the layoffs going to be? Are we going to go bankrupt? I mean, come on. Everybody knew it was coming, right? Right. And the longer we waited, the more um, people thought that we weren't being transparent with them. And and in fact, the, the truth of the matter is we just hadn't made the decision yet, was there going to be or not. They all knew it was coming. We weren't sure and we were the ones that were making the decision. And But I, I looked at everybody in the management team that day. I said, no, we can't do that. I said, at the end of the day, we want to build trust in this organization. The only way we're going to build trust is through transparency. Mm-hmm. And, my, and the truth is that everybody in the management team was on board about this. And we realized we had to meet with our employees like the next day. Um, and unfortunately, as a public company, you have to make an announcement at the same time. So, So we made the announcement the same day we met with all of our employees. We said, look, here's the deal. If we don't do this, we're not going to make it. And so, yes, a third of you are going to lose your jobs. The other third are going to keep your jobs. If we don't do this, nobody's going to keep their job. And we showed them the math. We took them through everything. We had no end to the meeting. We said, no question is out of bounds. Ask it. Mm. Uh, And, um, I mean, the meeting took hours. I can't tell you how many. It was webcast throughout the world. There were Europeans. There were you know, people from the U.S. on this. People from Asia were still sleeping. They they watched the, the highlights the next morning. But I, you know, and and we said, here's the deal. Um, we want to build trust. And and we could have waited thirty days, and we could have given you the exact everything. You know, we told you who was going to be laid off. But the truth is, that we took a risk. We know. Some of you might walk out the door. You may not want to work for a company that's going bankrupt, okay? But, you know, if we don't do this, we're not going to survive. And by the way, we're going to help people with their loss. We're going to, we're going to um, provide outplacement services. We're going to provide financial advice. We can't afford to, but we can't afford not to. We're going to provide emotional support, counseling, we're going to give you fair severance packages. We're going to treat you with complete dignity. And you're not going to meet with somebody in HR. You're going to meet with an employee, a real employee that can talk, you know, your boss who's got to sit in front of you and tell you why. And, and you deserve that. And I think because of the way that we handled that layoff, yeah. which was tough, man, I'll tell you what. And, you know, you know, sitting in front, I had to, I, I let go of three out of the 10 in the management team because we had to set the example. And, um, and so therefore we, we we had our 30% as well. And I sat down with all three of those people and that, that was a tough conversation to have. And um, But you know, my, my point is this, that sometimes, you know, transparency is tough because you got to tell people things that you don't want to tell them. And it's so easy to tell them what you want them to hear. And it's so difficult to tell them things that make you look bad. But you know, the truth is that it's all about you know, it's it's all about the truth. And and the truth will eventually get out. You have to realize that as a leader. Yes. And if it doesn't get out from you, it's gonna make you look bad. And and again, as I as I was saying before, the most important thing in leadership is 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 establishment of trust. And I believe that you truly establish trust through transparency. Open transparency. And by the way, one other thing along those lines. The world today is so much more transparent than it used to be, Um, you know, (laughs) and so the only way that you fight transparency is to be transparent, because if you're not, you know, everybody has an expectation of you today, and the expectation is that you're going to tell it like it is, and when you don't, you get crucified in the market. Just look at social media.
1: Oh, yeah. Cancel (laughs) culture. I yeah. mean exactly.
0: Yeah. And so it, it, you know, so it's very consistent with what people want in the market and, and the way that people you know the, the way that the the whole marketplace is moving today. Um. So anyway, that's I feel strongly about trust and transparency.
1: No, you know, uh, so many good things, and I'll get to the 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 layoff thing here in a minute. Um. But you're you're absolutely right. Um. People now are demanding transparency, and when they don't see it or don't have it, that's it you know, because it's, uh, because that's, the, the people are tired. <laughs> the people yeah. are tired of not having the transparency. It's like, look, w- and that goes everywhere from the professional to the political, to the everything, you know, we, we try to keep it very neutral here, but I mean, it's, it's everything that people are just saying, look, I am tired. Stop, just stop, just stop, <laughs> just stop that's what right. you're doing. And, yeah. and, and, and to your exact point, if you're not being transparent and honest, then others are coming out with the truth and, Watching people, especially today with what's going on in the climate right now, um, you know, either they're being silent or they're like, oh, I'm not going to address it because it's not real. But why is it coming out then from everybody else? Like, look, enough, enough, enough. And the thing I was going to tell you about how you handled those layoffs is probably one of the single greatest stories I've actually ever heard of a company. Is behavior period, number one. But number two, there was so much good in that. I thought that was cool that you basically said to everybody, let's show you what's happening as a business. Like, Let's just all be inclusive of this as a business um, yeah. to show you what's happening, why why we're here, what, what the numbers show. And then saying to them, listen, the only real way to solve this is that a third of you have to go or we all go. And right. that then won't serve anything. So Let's all just be transparent there. And you know, if anybody wants to go, of course, you know, please (laughs) let us know. But, but more importantly, like nobody's immune. You even said, look, even here over here in management, we're not immune either. And we have to lead by example. And the fact that you showed, you said, listen, we don't even want to let you go, but we have to. And if in looking at who we're going to let go, we'd rather work with you and help you through that process, you know, because it sucks. And we're being honest about it, that. It sucks that this is happening. We don't want that to happen, to you. But but we have to. We obviously have to do this. And I think that you earn so much respect from somebody when you take the time to actually care, even in a very tough moment. It shows a lot of heart. And I think that that's probably why people who had to leave were probably even more admired by your style of how you handled it and it probably impacted the way that they also move forward into any other environment that they go into or in the way that they lead their home or in anything else like i don't think that sometimes people realize the ripple effect you have or anybody has when they when you approach the situation the way you did you were very very transparent but you were also very loving and you were also very like honest and that's gonna that's gonna ripple out into every other people don't forget that it's a very pivotal moment for a lot of people you create a yeah, lot of bones, you know?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with the, the the ripple effect of that. And that's incredibly important. And the other thing I would say is I actually kind of hoped in the back of my mind that we would survive and that um, we would hire some of these people back. Mm. Because, you know, the truth is that if if you were saying we're going to cut 5%, 7%, I'd say, okay, we could probably cut fat. If you are saying we're going to cut 33%, there's a lot of bone there. And, you know, you'd like to get the bone back if you could. Um, and so, you know, when we finally got our feet on the ground, it took a couple of years, but, um, we, we actually got some of that bone back, <laughs> which yeah. is good. And I think a lot of it was because we treated them the right
1: way. Yeah. I, I you know, and, and, and that, that's the other thing too, the foresight uh, for, and, and having the vision of the future of like, listen, I mean, it's where we're at now. Uh, the hope is that we won't remain there because, we also have a plan, <laughs> or at least we we have re- we have parts of a plan of a bigger plan that will still also be re- revealed to us as we all adapt and, and move forward. And you know, we're here too if if you want to come back because you've all been really great in the process. I, I, you know, I I just I think that um there's so much good that happened out of I just I got chills when you were telling the story because I've never really heard anybody actually handling it that way, especially saying like we we want you to be a part of this entire process. We will actually show you what's happening. And then the fact that you also gave them the space to say, "Go ahead, ask any question." I mean, that's that's empowering. Even if you're on the way out, like, because now you have somebody who's also understanding business at a higher IQ as well. Like, you know, that was interesting. And if I'm in a position like that again, what would I change differently about, um, you know, how I'm positioned in a company and and my role? How would I handle that if I'm on the other side, on their side? you know, how, what What do I look for in another organization or if I'm building my own? I mean, there's a lot of powerful things you guys did and how you handled that uh, for a lot of people moving forward. So uh, I find that really admirable what you guys did there. That's not easy. And you also brought up that same point about it's easy for people to tell other people what they want to hear. And I think that sometimes people, I get it when people get very offended by that and like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're not telling me the truth. I always tell people, I'm like, were they wrong for not telling for for telling you what they wanted to hear? Absolutely. Real quick, let's peel the layers back. They did it also. Well, hopefully, we hope you know, from an integrity standpoint, we hope that it's really because they're also afraid of letting you down. So if we can remove yeah. if we can remove that mask and say instead of taking it out on them, call them out in a way of saying, "Am I hearing you okay?" That you just didn't want to let me down and you were afraid of letting me down. And you're going to probably hear ninety percent of the time when people say, "Ugh." yes, I was. Okay. Why didn't you just tell me Walt, Matt, Jim, whoever, you know, Sandra, why didn't you just tell me that, you know, um, because I was afraid of letting you down. And then that ownership creates a very big connection and bond between two people way more. Um, but that also that also takes empathy and, (laughs) you know, and and honesty on the other side as well to the people we deliver news to, you know, so I I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, You know, so you had to lead through that that bit of adversity. um what <laughs> what how do you what are other things that you think adversity teaches really good leaders that everybody else should know? We're living in a very adverse time. It is a very, <laughs> it's a very unique time. Uh, what do you think adversity teaches leaders that others may not have learned yet? Good leaders that they picked up along the way?
0: You know, um, great question. Um, I used to always tell my employees that adversity leads to perseverance, and perseverance builds character. And I, yes. I believe that character um, allows you to survive and thrive. Mm. Um, and and but character doesn't come in a moment; it takes time. Yes. You know, and I, I another quote that I, I'd say from time to time is Vince Lombardi used to always say, "Adversity is the first path to truth." I think you find the truth when things get tough, you know, people, people that fought in military say that all the time, you know, it's, who would they prefer to be in a foxhole? You know, and you find that out whenever people are shooting at you. And, um, I think it's because you learn to dig deep. Um, you do things that you never thought you could do. Um, and I think you learn the most because you never forget those times. Um, and um, I, I really found out a lot about myself. I learned a lot about people during adverse times, but I also learned a lot about myself. And, um, you know, one of the things that I decided to do this is very, very interesting. I, you know, that adversity I, I saw was really taking a toll on the management team in the early, kind of the first year. And I decided to hire a coach. Um, and that coach, um you know, coached all of us, uh, the entire management team. There's roughly seven or eight people on the team, and um, you know, so they, the coach did extensive training. Uh, you know, I mean, personality testing, 360 degree evaluations, you name it. And um, um, uh, you know, the coach came back to me and said, you know, well, I just want you to know, people like working with you, and that's all that's good. And your scores are really good, but. I do want you to know one thing though. And that is that unfortunately your empathy scores aren't all that high. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? (laughs) And he says, he said, yeah, he said, you know, your empathy scores aren't all that high. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, a couple of your direct reports always mentioned that, um, you know, and this is an adverse time, but you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off all the time. And, um, they see you and, you know, you, you have this sense of urgency, but the urgency is so much so that they feel like they can't walk into your room and talk to you anymore. Now, if they finally do pull you aside in the hallway, you know, you're fine. I mean, they, it's not as if you're difficult, right. but they just, out of respect for you, they don't want to bother you. And it, you know what, Matt, it was like putting a dagger in my heart.
1: I can imagine. And I said,
0: are you kidding me? And he said, no, I'm really serious. And he said, we need to work on your empathy. And so, and you know, so funny, it's an adverse time and you want to get it right. One of the things I feared is just not getting all the answers right, you know, and I was trying to run around like a chicken with my head cut off every day to make sure that we were getting it right. And, and, but I, but unfortunately I was leaving the, sometimes I was leaving the relationships in the dust, not, not in a bad way but just in an unapproachable way. And sometimes I think, you know, that situation allowed me to hire somebody that actually could tell me what I could do better. And I talk a lot in the book about, I think lead, the best leaders are the leaders that have, you know, a personal accountability group or personal board or directors or, you know, continuous coaching just, you know, the most important thing as a leader It is that you need to be measuring how you're doing. And the way you measure is ask. And by the way, if you're willing to ask and people know that you really care, they'll tell you what you could do better. And I, I just think that, you know, I learned it was a really big lesson. I started working on, you know, how can I spend more time with not just my direct reports, but everybody in the office. Um, and, you know, how do I bring my empathy scores up? You know? And, um, so anyway, I, maybe I got off on a tangent. Here no, it was little, perfect. I, I think that adversity really builds. That's what I'm talking about in terms of perseverance. Um, you know, you persevere through, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you learn what you can do better. And ultimately it 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 makes your character better. And, and I think it It just helps you to survive and thrive in a better way than you would if things were all good and and everything was rosy and your financial results look
1: great. I think what you just said is so um, relatable to today, but I totally, I I felt you very much when you said, um, what do you mean my empathy score? Because. The heart of the matter was you—you you, you running around with a like a, a chicken without its head—was out of the sheer love of the company and trying to do as much as you possibly can for the people, for everybody. And I have found that it's been interesting over the years through coaching and mentorship and um, working with different uh, people um, on myself because uh, I started that journey probably about eight nine years ago. Um, it's interesting when we hear feedback that's almost counter intuitive to the intention that we mean because you running around was because of the love you have for everybody. So it's almost like, what do you mean? But then we realize, oh, I, I need to slow down enough to hear what I'm not hearing in those blind spots. Um, and, uh, you know, you're right. The 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 empathy is, is major. And I, I find you hum- and you talk about um, asking questions. Humility, I believe, has saved me. And I think it's one of the greatest Um, attributes of leaders I admire or successful people because humility instantly injects you into asking the right questions, um, listening to them actually listen to them digesting them seeing how you can make tweaks and improvements into the way you were doing and and not allowing my my, my ego to jump out you know like because I, I i felt exactly when you said it's like it's like a, a knife going in there because it's the opposite of what we intend and when our intentions really are the good and somebody else is telling us it's coming out differently it's hard that's a hard that there's a misalignment why is there a misalignment there and and that that was hard for me to, to have to learn some of those things along the way but that's to your point where the character building came and why I said it's so relatable to today is because in those instances even though it was a major during a major financial crisis, You're still an isolated group of individuals at at a smaller scale. And what I believe what we're witnessing right now, and I've said this on other podcasts, what I believe we're witnessing right now is a very massive scale of transformation where a majority of the world's population all at the same time now has to ask themselves kind of like, where do I need to step back? what do i need to to change you know do i need coaching do i need mentorship do i need help how was i doing things before so now it's happening at a very critically massive scale and uh so your your what you went through in that i don't want to call it an isolated situation because there was still a lot of people during that time going through it but that isolated time is now happening in critical mass, and I think it's very applicable to everybody to have to ask these, themselves these things, and you know, and and be open to asking questions and getting help. You know,
0: Matt, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, you were just talking about the environment we're in now, the COVID environment. You know, really, it's accelerating fewer face-to-face interactions. Um, you know, more and and a more distributed workforce, and also the emotional side yes. is out there too. And I. I think it's all about today. I think it's about managing from a heart, you know, with a heart. And um, leaders absolutely need to ask and listen first now. Um, Don't expect people to come to them, uh, meet them where they are. Empathy and flexibility are so critically important right now um, from a leadership perspective. And I think also, you know, the fact that people are are, um, not there next to you the the importance of delegating and trusting and recognizing is even greater today because they're not there. I mean, you kind of have to, I mean, the truth is that you're on zoom calls with them. Dogs are barking, babies are crying early zoom calls. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on around people today. Right. And if, if you're, you as a leader think that you're going to be able to micromanage in that environment, you are absolutely wrong. Um, and you know, so it is about it's about delegating, recognizing, managing with the heart, you know, asking, listening, um, and 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 being empathetic about leadership. And I just think this whole COVID environment has accelerated that
1: big time. Mm, absolutely. I I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the one thing fear and faith have in common?
0: Great question. Um, I talk a lot about that. I shouldn't say a lot, but I've talked a little bit about that from time to time. And I certainly um, have talked, addressed it in, in, in the book. So there's a common focus that both faith, first of all, I, I want to step back and I just want to say this. I think that there are the the two most um, significant challenges that leaders face. Amen. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Our pride and fear. Okay. Pride Mm -hmm. and fear. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, we can talk a lot about pride and fear. We probably don't Mm -hmm. have enough time to go into it. But on the fear side, you know, some fears are good, by the way. Like, you know, uh, Taylor Swift one time said that um, she performs better because she's nervous that she's going to screw up before every performance. You know, and I get that. But most fears are bad. And the reason they're bad is, is, is because they're about us.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And it makes it difficult for us to serve when all we are is worried about us. Every day, right? And so, I talk a lot about the commonality between faith and fear, and they both have the same focus. They're focused on the future. Fear believes in a negative future, and faith believes in a positive future. And you know, in the book, I, I there's a quote that I use in the book from a gentleman by the name of H.P. Lovecraft, who wrote a bunch of horror movies, and he said that the 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 oldest and strongest emotion of a man is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. Mm. And the real question for me was, you know, what do I project into that unknown? Do I project fear or do I project faith? Because the, if I believe that, then I believe that the antidote to fear is faith and it's only really a thought away. And for me, it's faith in a higher being, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to convince anybody that, you know, faith in that higher being is the right thing. I'm just saying that that's right for me, right, and that really allows me to reckon with my fears. It really does because when I put faith into that unknown bucket and replace fear with faith, all of a sudden I just have confidence. Yes, in in the outcome. And I'll tell you the other thing is I noticed in leading Prologis is that it allowed me to be more transparent. You know, we talked about transparency earlier because I don't fear the consequences. I just don't because I, I believe that to a certain degree in that faith that, you know, if it's a bad consequence, it's it's meant to be, if it's a good consequence, that's okay too. Um, and um, I think if you, if you have that feeling, you can be, much more transparent with what what the result looks like. And um, so anyway, that's that, that that to me is how I deal with the two. Um, faith is really, really a big component of it for me.
1: No, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, you know, I don't think you can go wrong if you're telling the truth, I really don't. And I think that that almost basically dissolves fear because it gets rid of it, 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 it hits it head on when you tell the truth and you're trying to do things from a right place, what consequences? The the outcome outcomes that didn't happen the way we quote unquote expected, so now we had expectations, what kind of expectations did we have? And why were those expectations from there and where were they made from? So if I'm telling the truth and I'm trying, and I'm I'm working from a place of the best intentions um, with the best, uh, you know, respect for everybody involved I truly believe it'll just decimate fear all around and that the that the outcomes are always working in our favor at that point and that's where the faith you know really comes in is that like you know leap leap and, and do the right thing and 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 operate from there and everything has its way of kind of moving itself uh, like I feel like um the universe is constantly playing chess with all of us <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, like, it's like oh you made really good choices you'll just like notice how these things move out of the way these things come into your world this outcome happened here I'm like oh right. you're making uh, these choices okay well that has to have a direct effect as well and here's what happens when going that path you know and uh, so uh but i but i like the way you you put that between fear and faith and uh, um, that you know uh, a negative future versus a positive future And um, both require the same amount of time and energy. So what type of time and energy do we want to, where do we want to dedicate that time and energy to, right? And um, so I, yeah, I I really, I really like that you you brought that up. And fear is a very, I I sometimes feel that on the contrary, we're not actually here to suffer is my opinion. Uh, Spiritually, I believe we're not here to suffer. We're here to thrive. Part of thriving though is also seeking our truth and your a lot of your points earlier adversity helps us get to our truth so adversity is actually a catalyst not an intentional suffering <laughs> for us we just don't like the way it feels <laughs> if we're being very honest we just it does not feel good and therefore gosh i didn't sign up for this you know <laughs> like that's not what i wanted but you were absolutely right i i will for in my opinion you were right earlier when you said adversity you know leads to our truth and uh um and i think it, it's part of our mission while we're here is to to get to and operate from our truth as much as possible uh yeah
0: okay. i like that matt i'm in fact i wrote that down a catalyst for truth it's so true yeah adversity is a catalyst for truth Hey,
1: there you go. So now, now we'll quote each other. <laughs> <Appreciate laughs> no, you know, I, I'm I'm so glad you tackle these things in in the book. Um, when when does Transfluence come out? By the way,
0: it comes out um, September 29th.
1: Okay, great. Oh, that's gonna be a, a, an amazing book. And what a time! What an absolute good time to be launching this book. Um, how long have you been working on it? Other than you know your entire career? <laughs>
0: too long, too, no, too long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I you know I probably started about. Um, four years ago, three, hmm. three and a half, four years ago. Um, and actually I started further back from that, but the book that I wanted to write was that I really didn't like it. You know, it's, it's sort of like a pancake, you know, the first pancake oh, you yeah. make is always the one you throw out yep. and I kind of threw out the first, um, you know, the first try and, 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 but I'd say since I, since we came up with the thought transfluence, uh, probably three and a half to four years now.
1: Wow. Yeah. I but mean, you know. yeah, to do it right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's uh, 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 the Mona Lisa did not happen right away, <laughs> no, but- <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> so- <laughs> I, I, you know, but I, and I just I think that it's um, you're tackling such uh, like I was saying that it's such a, an, a, an important time where now with the amount of adversity people are facing is a time to go inside and be like, where am I at and why am I experiencing this? If I the, way I, the way I've, I guess, told people is because, see, I went through my own transformation probably about nine years ago of, of really just dealing with when you feel like you lose a lot of different things all at the same time and they a surrendering moment, if you will. And you're like, all right. And the fact that you brought up character, by the way, was actually the core central theme. For me, it was to say, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and I want to I want to understand several components here. I need to understand who I am as a man in this world. Who am I as a person to myself? Who am I as a person in society? Who am I as a person in business? Who am I as a person um, to a you know partner again? Because um, i I, and divorced my wife. Uh, as, a, as a partner and, and as a, a family person, who, and it's all, and, and the first counsel I sought out in, um, in spirituality and, and religion from a, a really great mentor, he said, everything is really just about the pursuit of your character and your relationship with yourself and how who that character really is and strengthening that core and understanding all the different things that really make us tick you know and so um you know I I I find that surrendering moments you know adversity (laughs) is is a perfect time to take a step back and say okay we're clearly (laughs) in in a very interesting moment where do we go from here and I think Globally, we're experiencing that right now, and I think that it's uh, it's a, a very unique time. I mean, uh, leadership in this time, w- your your take? Uh, I know you already started to talk a little bit about it, but do you have any any final thoughts about that, you know, and, and moving I forward do. where we go from here? I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think this, um, and this is not uh, kind of to be too, uh, I'm not trying to be political about this at all, but my hope is that this begins to spur a discussion about leadership. Um the world, and certainly here in the United States. I think we are at a time where the world needs and deserves better leadership. Um And I remember about four years ago, before the election, Howard Schultz, who's the CEO of Starbucks, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really wanted a role model to me. I, I just think he's terrific when you read about, you know, him. And he, in fact, he says that the currency of leadership is transparency. I love that, that mm-hmm. quote. But He did an op-ed, and I think it was in the New York Times, and um, people were kind of prodding him to run for president. Um, He didn't want to run for for president, and um, so he put out an op-ed, and he wrote about how America needs a servant leader as a president,
1: Yes. Hmm.
0: and in the op-ed, he writes about how powerful the image was of Pope Francis kneeling and washing the feet of prisoners in Rome. And um, one of whom was a Muslim prisoner, I believe. And then he goes on to speak about how the values of servant leadership, kind of putting others first and leading from the heart, need to emerge from every corner of American life, including the business community, by the way. And then he goes on and he boldly makes the comment that our country deserves a president humble enough to seek leadership, not as an entitlement, but as a privilege. And I... I just think we need leaders that along the lines of what Howard Schultz is talking about. And, um, you know, leaders that can see it from both sides. Um, He mentioned in in fact, he mentioned that, you know, why is it that we don't see more leaders running for office Republicans that have a democratic um, vice president or, or vice versa, you know, that type of thing. And it's just become so partisan and, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in it to try to make each other's lives better. And it, it seems like you said, it seems simple. It's not. And I'm not trying to make it that way. But I think we need more of that. And um, I'm just trying to spur that discussion now because I don't think it's just in corporate America. I think it's leadership throughout the world. Um, and my hope is that, you know, we can get this this discussion going and and that we can sort of change the face of how the world looks over time
1: you know, I think it's very well put that um, to spark that discussion because those discussions have to take place during times of massive um, uh, fallout of infrastructure or, or surrendering, if you will. And you, so I think yeah. you're seeing a lot of aspects of different various systems that have been in place uh, for some time that aren't necessarily working like they used to. I didn't think that they worked before, but they worked for a few. (laughs) So but so I I think that um, because of that, when there is massive, again, massive trauma happening to a lot of people, once they start coming out of that, the very next questions are, where do we go from here? So the fact that you want to start having these conversations is also perfectly timed because as you know, too, just like it took Prologis some time to rebuild, it will take... Um, the U.S. and the rest of the world some time to rebuild, and I think that my hope is that um, new conversations will be start to had that are very all inclusive, and empathetic, and um, you know, uh, heart centered, and honest and transparent. Hey, yep. we we mucked up for this much time where do we go from here how do we, do we like let's here? let's let's just all put it on the table you did this i did this you did that everybody did all these things great where do we go from here yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. so it'll be interesting let's not look
0: back let's look forward
1: absolutely this is incredible where can people find out about the book where they can where can they find out about you what to give us all the all the resources
0: you bet well first of all the book will be available pretty much any retailer will will have them but amazon barnes and noble your local bookstore, um, you could get it in either digital or hard copy. And then in terms of my contact information, my website is, and I'll spell this for you, um, is waltrakowich.com. W A L T R A K O W I C H.com. Um, Twitter address is at Walt and LinkedIn Walter Rakowich. And, um, that's the, those are probably the best places that you can get me
1: that's amazing thank you I, I really appreciate you being on the show this is uh, and and by the way I, I always encourage all my guests um, it's a journey driven podcast which means today and a year from now are very different uh, a lot of a lot can happen actually <laughs> Daily, a lot can happen, as I've been saying. <laughs> but but yeah. you're welcome back on the show anytime. We can tackle any other number of, of topics that you, you'd you love to discuss with the, with my global audience. I know that they'd love to hear about it, especially th- this is very, very powerful, the things that we're talking about here today. And I, I really appreciate you you being willing to be open, uh, but not surprised because that's the, the whole topic is vulnerability and openness. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, Matt, I, I have to tell you again, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, I love talking with you and um, I really am honored to be on your show. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, hang back for one second. I'll connect with you here offline, but uh, uh, so don't go anywhere. But for everybody listening, Walt Rakowich, uh his book is coming out, uh, Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. It's going to be a lot about vulnerability in there. And I, I listen just my opinion is just do yourself a favor and, and crack open the book. <laughs> just go and get it. Because I mean, I think the I, I've been doubling down myself recently, um, carrying around three books at a time, um, one audible, two, two paperback. I, I just I encourage a lot of, of inner growth right now. I think it's vitally important. Um, and whether books are our coaches or we go hire coaches or mentors or things like that, um, do that as well, too. Uh, I just I I think they're just very, very vital, especially during times of massive transformation. Um, And, you know, of course, you can also connect with Walt at his uh, website, W-A-L-T-R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H dot com. Uh, Feel free to reach out to him over there. And he's got some other, you know, uh, links that you can that he'll provide there as well, too. And, uh, we appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here and, uh, for Hustle Soul Tipperly and, and for myself, Matt Osman. uh, appreciate each and every one of you guys. Again, the 4.6 million downloads have been incredible. You guys have all been incredible and, and reaching out as well too. Um, please, uh, look for Walt's book and, uh, we appreciate you and we'll talk soon. We are out.